0: Welcome to the MMA Geek C Level Podcast. This is Stan Girayab here with my friend, my co host, Nick Braccia. Here, excited to talk about UFC 239. Big pay for you coming up. We're going to discuss a little bit what happened last week at UFC on ESPN 3. Then we're going to go into UFC 239 picks, previews, and analysis. And then we're going to talk betting. We're going to give you guys a betting guide. How are you, Nick?
1: You know, Stan, I'm a little bit down because for the first time in 20-whatever shows, you are in the lead.
0: I am, Nick, and it feels good to be the king.
1: Just going to make me hungry. I've got to go back to the drawing board, talk to my coaches, regroup, and get my belt back.
0: I never thought about switching game plans, Nick. I'm not prepared for this.
1: Can we record later, maybe? Nope. Get in the cage, kid.
0: All right, let's do this. I, I'm excited, Nick. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the lead. Uh, last week, we actually had really good picks
1: that both of us did. I think we went either 9-2 and two or 10-2. and two. Yeah, we had identical picks, which is why we did the playoff based on specific round and type of finish.
0: Right. We ended up being right about a couple of these bouts, pretty spot on. And, and the one differential was that I changed my pick to Damian Maya by decision rather than Damian Maya by second round submission. I just felt like... If Maya wasn't going to finish in the first round, then Rocco Martin was going to be able to run out the clock as Maya gets more and more tired in that second and third. Yeah,
1: and he almost got that position, but he just couldn't secure it. He couldn't lock it. Uh, he didn't seem like he had enough strength, really, uh, to do it. It didn't seem to me that uh, Martin had remarkable defense. Uh, it just, Maya just couldn't get it done.
0: I do think Rocco Martin is actually listed as a black belt. Um, he's certainly not anywhere near Maya's league. But also, you, you got to say, the guys that Maya s- tends to submit in that first round, they're not, uh, they're not considered black belts, I don't think, by any means. These are purple and brown belts in jiu-jitsu that are probably awed by him largely. And Rocco Martin, I, I believe he genuinely believed that he could and needed to win this bout. Unfortunately, he couldn't pull the trigger uh, in the right times. He couldn't defend those takedowns. A tough loss for him. But uh, still, I think there's a lot to look forward to, Uh, especially once Damian Meyer retires. I think he's a guy that can knock off so many prospects. Rocco Martin just became another one of those guys.
1: Correct, correct. So let's talk about the highlights from from last week's card before we get into what I'm sure will be uh, interesting and potentially very different picks for the big 4th of July card. Two thirty-nine. The UFC always coming through with a giant action pack stacked main card. Um, really, twice a year they they go uh, they go for the jackpot. Fourth of July and right uh, between Christmas and New Year's uh, seem to be where uh, where they put the muscle, and it's a it's really a, a great one uh, this weekend. But uh, the Francis and Ganu. The Nigerian – is he the Nigerian? No, he's not the Nigerian nightmare. That's Usman. But Nganu's is also from Nigeria, correct? Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, he got that first-round knockout as expected, except Nick, I don't think it was – he didn't really get to land a clean shot. I think he kind of uh, – Junior Santos just threw this wild overhand right, like uh, foolishly, uh, ended up spinning out of position because I think he was so scared of the counter. Ended up with his back to Nganu, who just swung wild uh, – swung big – Caught him with his form, and uh, Dos Santos got hit, but not really very hard. You know, not hard enough to be out all the way. He just kind of fell to his knees and covered his head, asking the referee to stop the bat. It's unfortunate, man. I think in getting that Tyson effect, where guys are having a lot of trouble uh, mentally, being willing to go in there knowing that they can be separated from consciousness in an instant, and very likely to be with just one shot.
1: What's We're very so? I thought that obviously Dosan. Uh, Dos Santos overcommitted, way overcommitted on that shot, ended up in a poor position. But the great irony of Francis Ngannou is you'd think, this is an amazingly marketable fighter. We can cut incredible highlight, reel, uh, we can, uh, highlight reels and um, sizzle packages for him. But you look at his Kane, his Kane Velasquez KO, his second uh, Curtis Blaze finish, his Dos Santos finish. He grazes people and they go you know and, and they go out and or he's quick or he hits them from a weird angle. The only knockout he has um in my opinion that's a real highlight real finish, especially for a knockout artist who hits so hard is overeem um he's just he just barely touches these guys or hits them you know glances clips and and they go down now that said um the shot. You know, so Santos was off balance. Um, the shot kind of dropped him, but those ground and pound shots were vicious, <laughs> and he was put. And Ghana was putting a lot of power uh, behind them.
0: Yeah, and and for good reason. Again, Los Santos didn't need them. It's it's unfortunate seeing him kind of go down like that. I just feel like he didn't really, he didn't. He he decided that if he's out of position one time, if he gets hit one time, it's all over and. And then he kind of made it a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a shame. Uh, I think he actually could have survived that first round with the right game plan. But lunging him oh, with, with an overhand right against Francis Ngannou and giving him every opportunity to counter you.
1: Yeah, he threw, it? A, he threw a haymaker. It was it was as the last time we saw a fighter of that, I could say, that caliber, that pedigree, that reputation. Um charge and miss and and end up in a really stupid position like that was probably ronda rousey against holly holm and
0: and you know what i thought you were actually talking about bear doom against dos um, santos yes yeah oh, it right. do- no it wasn't dos santos against sipe oh he, he literally lunged yes. in with his you're chin right, high and sipe it,
1: caught him yeah he did he did do that you're right but you're uh, right
0: also with Ronda. And
1: Holl- well, Ronda ended up their back to Holly, though, which uh, right. um, and that wasn't the finishing shot. But it came right. It came very shortly before the the finish.
0: Like um, for Junior, man, and this is like the second fight in a row that Francis Ngannou beats one of my favorite fighters. The last time he actually cleanly knocked out Cam Velasquez, it didn't look like it, which sucks. Kane just kind of uh, got, got hit with his clean right uppercut. And the camera, like no camera angle, shows it to you cleanly enough to be convinced that that's what happened. And yeah, just kind of falls onto his own knee, and it doesn't look great. You're right, it's, highlight rail wise. It's, 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 it's really weird. The guy is,
1: you know, he's this murder machine, and he doesn't. <laughs> aside from Overeem, he doesn't have any cartoon KOs.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's actually fascinating. It's a, it's a great notice because I just looked through his record. You're right. I think Audovski may have been kind of a clean KO as well, but he doesn't really have a whole lot of clean knockouts. Guys are. So afraid of him. He has a submission in there. He's got a bunch of TKOs, but Overeem was just a nasty, nasty, cold, hard knockout. One that will play in the UFC highlight reels, I think, for many, yeah. many years to come. But yeah, Ngannou does, does it again. I, I don't really see a whole lot standing in between him and the, and the title at this point. I don't even know if, I don't even know if Stipe can repeat that uh, performance because I really do believe Ngannou did, wasn't himself in that Stipe matchup. He aggressively pursued Stipe. He never does that, Nick. He never, ever does that outside of that one fight. He aggressively pursued him in the first round, gassed out, and Stipe was able to take advantage after that. Um, I think Ngannou is probably just on the strength of his punching power. He doesn't need to hit you hard, like you said. He doesn't need to hit you hard. Yeah, cool. I
1: you think know? that's going to be the January card. I, 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 And the bummer is I think Cormier is probably going to beat Miocic again. which, will, And then if Cormier – Cormier is not going to want any part of Ngannou. He's going to retire – um, after beating Stepe, which will be the smart thing to do, and then Stepe will get another title shot, um, coming off of a loss against against Ngannou, and you know Stepe a great fighter. He really is. He could fight the perfect fight and and beat Ngannou, but I'm I've got to go back and watch and see and look at his takedowns again and how clean they were because. You can't even hold a leg and try to um, work a takedown if you don't get it really clean because it'll yeah. hammer fist you into oblivion. Like there's not this guy just t- t- he's so powerful um, and he's in great shape. And, uh, you know, God forbid he ever gets to a real camp. <laughs> not only that, but I mean, we don't even really know that he's in great shape because he keeps
0: finishing guys so early. Right. Well, like, he,
1: I mean, he looks terrific. He looks leaner. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do believe that. And for that reason, he may be even faster. He's he's already pretty fast for heavyweight. But again, just a dynamic, heavy, natural counterpuncher. And it worked out for him once again here. Uh, between the fear that his opponents uh, are, are kind of experiencing, the nightmares they're probably going through during training camp, and his actual power, that fear being for good reason, he's going to be a tough guy to to defeat. I think it'll take a mentally strong, extremely durable, hard-chinned, uh wrestler to to do some damage to the guy um i I, I don't think Cormier would take that risk either uh next up next january
1: agon will be champion by 2020 or in early 2020 and he'll uh he'll hold that i think he's gonna hold on to that title for for a very long time i mean the question is what happens if uh john jones moves up but that's a that's a show that we can do probably in the summer of 2020.
0: John Jones will have nothing to do
1: with Anganu. Anganu jo- knocks
0: John Jones out uh, probably in the first round. You think so? Absolutely. Nganu, uh, John Jones will have absolutely nothing to do with that matchup. There's not a shot in heck. Absolutely not. No chance.
1: We shall see. Um, so uh, really quickly, uh, Joseph Benavidez um, scrapped hard in the first round, which most sites gave him. Um, I thought it was a, a pretty close round. He got busted up a bit. Great work by the cut man, and then Benavides just brought it in the second. Crisp combos, mixed it up, landed a nasty head kick. Uh, saw that that uh, Formaja uh, was stumbled, rocked on loopy legs, and Benavides just went for the kill. It's great when you can uh, you can go for the finish like that and not worry about your cardio because your cardio is awesome. He looked, uh, he looked like a million bucks. I can't believe I've been watching this guy for 10, 12 years.
0: Yeah, Joseph Benavidez is something special. He always has been. Unfortunately, he uh, was in his prime during the reign of Demetrius Johnson. He's free of Demetrius now, and he has a win, although, uh, you know, a somewhat controversial one over the current champ, Henry Cejudo. Um, yeah, this is exactly the kind of performance you'd want him to have if he has any shot of asking for that Cotto so fight. He needs to press it hard. He needs to get on social media and demand it. He needs to make this into something that fans want to see, and that can really be a great way to actually bring back that flyweight division. So Hudo, I think you know, c- c- couldn't hurt with a, t- uh, a title defense in one division or the other, right? He's got two titles now. Actually, I actually think it's realistic he can defend both. Uh, Joseph Benavidez has a shot of beating the guy. If anyone does, I think at one twenty-five. Um, and I would love to see the matchup. Uh, hopefully, that will happen. Yeah, do you see it for Amiga? It was another TKO victory for Benavides here. This time, Benavides actually truly hurt the guy uh, and finished him on the ground with ground strikes. Yeah, that head kick was pretty spectacular. Benavides. Benavides. Uh, I mentioned last week that he now trains with Extreme Couture, and I think that camp has really come together to produce some high-level talent. Uh, to to really refine the game planning, the conditioning. Um, and the sparring partners, I think. Those, those are some of the major kind of ingredients for uh, a really solid fight camp, and they have it. Benavides is one of the guys that are showing, um, showing the fruit of that labor.
1: Yeah, Next, I also think it's, worth, more, note, well, it's also worth noticing that he had that recent loss to uh, Sergio Pettis, which is a very close fight where Penavitas didn't look quite himself. Aside from that, four losses, two to Mighty Mouse, two to Dominic Cruz, and one of the Mighty Mouse decisions and one of the Dominic Cruz decisions were split. So yeah, yeah. just to talk about how great at it, it, two weight classes, one thirty-five and one twenty-five, uh, Benavides has been. Um, that was up against you know pretty uh, pretty young, physically fit Dominic Cruz. A terrific you know terrific fight um, back in twenty ten, um, and he's got the win over Cejudo. So just really one of the you know best pound for pound fighter pound for pound fighters. Um, in the world who does not get the uh, credit he deserves. I'm glad he's out of alpha male, too.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think he he would even do pretty well being undersized at 135 pounds. He's that skilled. He's that talented. He's that fast and that well-conditioned. Um, yeah, I look forward to seeing the guy continue to to, to fight. I'm, I'm hoping he gets that title shot, man. He really is an all-time great, no doubt a future Hall of Famer. I remember actually seeing him debut either in Pride or, or dream, I think it was, back in the day. Uh, he was a Uri Faber disciple, and I followed the Japanese scene, uh, and I was impressed with him from his first fight. Uh, he's an all-time great, no doubt. Um, another win, speaking of all-time greats, Nick, we had a, a great win for Damian Maya. and I say great not because it was the most spectacular fight ever, but he did it again at age 41 or 42. He beat another young up-and-comer that you know lately has been looking pretty darn solid, who's been putting guys away, he has been has been uh, dominant in some of his victories over some high level talent? Damian Maya does it again. He, you know, essentially uh, the moment he was able to get his hands on Rocco Martin, he took him down and, and took his back. Rocco Martin defended well enough. And then uh, that first round was clearly Maya's. Second and third, Maya was getting more and more tired, but he got enough top position time in that second round before being kind of roughed up a little bit in the third round by Rocco Martin. But unfortunately, that's never really enough. Uh, you would think one of these days a guy can get a 10 8 third round against Damian Maia hasn't happened Damian Maia gets another victory and I think he's only one win behind or maybe two wins behind Donald Cerrone when it comes to the most victories in the UFC history he's now surpassed Michael Bisping and George St. Pierre um so really again another all-time great another UFC hall of famer who couldn't quite pull the trigger when he got the title shot uh or, or you know lost the opportunity here and there but he's beaten really he's got quite a resume on him Damian Maia does.
1: Yeah, I want to go back and look and see what his very wow, UFC seventy-seven against Ryan Jensen, when he that was his, he only had six fights at that time, um, and then he he rattled off victories against Jensen and Herman, Jason McDonald, Nate Quarry, and submitted Chael Sonnen at UFC ninety-five before uh, getting drilled by Nate the Great Marquardt in twenty-one seconds. I remember where I was when I was watching that fight um and then but then that victory against Dan Miller got him the title shot in Abu Dhabi uh where you know that was one of the fights where Silva was cr- heavily criticized for clowning but Maya really brought it and uh you know showed so through through some punches did some kickboxing with Silva um late in that fight uh which uh you know given the skill discrepancy in that department took uh, tremendous guts
0: yeah, uh, Maya. again, he, he really is something special. He He's not really hurting guys, right? He's dragging guys down. He's getting really good positions on them, and, and if not submitting them, he's putting them close to positions where they might be finished. Um, he never does much damage, and, and that way he's kind of a gentleman. I think part of his whole thought process is that he'd rather not go for joint locks because he doesn't want to actually do damage. He doesn't want to injure guys. He'd rather uh, get a choke, in. a worst case, the guy goes out for a couple of seconds, he's, he wakes back up, you know. Not much harm done, although they say you lose brain cells. Uh, he's a gentleman. He's a really likable guy, an old veteran who's 41 years old and still doing it at the highest level. Um, he's actually apparently been talking about uh, retiring soon, according to John Annick, I believe. Uh, he said something like, no more fights after 2020. So... Uh, we might be one or two fights away. Uh, I know he has to fight Diego Sanchez, and we're going to talk about him uh, later on tonight. But he might be w- one or two fights away from, uh, yes. from the end of his career. And I hope he does it, honestly, with wins, man. I hope the UFC doesn't wash him out to someone that can beat him. But you know what? Good luck.
1: Yeah, the last thing I'll say about Damian Maia was I do feel a little bit like we were robbed in that, you know, he, had, he did have a fairly successful run at middleweight, but he's ended up um, having a more successful run – um, I think overall at Welterweight. And had he started at Welterweight, we would have gotten to see him against GSP, which would have been very, very interesting.
0: Actually, that's, that's a great way to look at it. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, it was, it was only after a couple of losses at middleweight that he decided to come down to Welterweight. And really, you're right, he's had the best moments of his career in the latter part of his career. Uh, done really well at 170. But yeah, it, it'll be cool to... See him kind of uh, have a parade on his way out, a, a victory parade, hopefully. And uh, maybe he will get that Diego Sanchez matchup. I think it's one that favors him, but it should be interesting considering Diego's propensity to just will his way through tough moments and possibly finish guys in, in a third round.
1: It's also there. never been subbed, in, at least in the UFC. Yeah. Good,
0: good, good point. Diego Sanchez does not suck as a grappler, but Damian Maya is a different gush on league. Like, I don't think Diego Sanchez has ever fought anyone on Diego's level in grappling. Um, he may have – he's done some grappling competitions back in the day, so maybe that was the case. Damian Maya picking up that victory, Nick. We, we had a bunch of prospect victories that night as well. Big shout-outs to those guys, some very impressive stuff. It actually turned out to be a better card than one would initially expect. So a good one in the books there. We're going to uh, take a break, and then we're going to come back and talk about UFC 239 Jones versus Santos. We're going to break down and preview that fight card. Following that, we're going to give you guys uh, all the info you'll need to know where to place the bets. We'll be back. And we are back. Excited to talk about UFC 239, where John Jones, arguably the best pound for pound fighter in the world, is going up against Thiago Santos, Maheta Santos, in another title defense against the surging middleweight. Nick, what are your
1: overall thoughts on this card? Because I think it's pretty damn awesome, bottom to top. Super, super stacked. Uh, you know, the, the prelims aren't fantastic. There's a couple of good fights there. The main card is remarkable. Not, I expect there's not going to be a boring minute on it. Uh, so I'm super excited. The main event, though, let's talk about that first. The light heavyweight title on the line. John Bones Jones against Thiago Santos, who's come up from middleweight to wreak havoc. Uh, he's a plus 450 underdog against, on five dimes against Jones's minus 600 sizable favorite. Stan, who do you got? So
0: I think this is a fascinating matchup for several reasons. For one, on paper, Thiago Santos doesn't seem like much of a threat against John Jones. But when you kind of look at some of the details, it's really not that simple. Uh, John Jones, his weakest point in the MMA game is probably his stand-up, believe it or not, even though I know he kind of wins a lot of his bouts there. Um, he's had trouble against guys, not so much in the wrestling department, not in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu department. It's, it's been standing up when he has had trouble, when he's had tough moments, whether it be Gustafsson, uh, whether it be Leora Machida in the first round of their bout. Um, he, he's, he's possibly going to get hit a few times by Santos here. Santos is an explosive, explosive puncher, an even more explosive kicker. He's a guy that switches stances um, against guys that he feels like he should dominate. He just kind of pressures forward, especially recently. He'll go for the occasional takedown. And I actually think, given his explosiveness, that might not be a terrible way to go against Jones. Um, At least to attempt those takedowns, at least to give Jones something else to think about. Um, Looking at Jones' last few opponents, I I do. I, I think that... Smith, Gustafson, uh, St. Prue, Cormier, Teixeira, Chael Sonnen. None of these guys had the power to hurt John Jones. None of these guys had the power to hurt John Jones's otherwise excellent chin. Tiago Santos has that chance. I think that can make a difference here. Jones often fights down to his competition. We've seen him have very competitive fights. Uh, with guys, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe very competitive is a bit too strong. Uh, he was competitive with Gustafsson in the first bout. Uh, he had a ho hum fight with Smith, a ho hum fight with St. Pru. These are guys that you would expect for him to finish, right? These are guys you expect him to run through. Uh, instead, he he runs through Daniel Cormier and runs through Alexander Gustafsson in, in those last couple of contests. So, yeah, he fights down to his competition. I think a lot of this might depend on Thiago Santos's aggression level. If he realizes that his best shot is to get a knockout and it's not to stay on the outside and let Jones slowly damage you to the point where you're exhausted and and can't wait for that last bell to ring. Um, I think Tiago Santos needs to put some power on him early, earn his respect, but be very wary of that takedown. Uh, And if he does get taken down, he's got the ability to explode and pop back up. Um, I know Jones is dangerous on the getup with that front headlock game. He can get a pretty decent standing guillotine if he needs it. Um, But I do think Tiago Santos has some ways to victory here. I realize Jones is an excellent fighter, uh, and and I realize there's a damn good reason why he's never been beaten, um, truly beaten. I'm going to pick John Jones here, but I think Tiago Santos has a higher chance than a lot of Jones' previous opponents. Having said that, if Tiago brings it up on Jones, Jones will absolutely wreak havoc on him, and I think that's the situation in which Jones finishes him. Either a very tired Tiago Santos at the end of a fourth or fifth round uh, can get TKO'd against that fence by Jones or uh, it's going to be because Tiago Santos really went for it at some point and Jones just lit a, it, it lights a fire under Jones' ass and, and Jones really goes for that finish uh, either way I can see him pounding him out on the ground if he really aggressively goes for that top position um, I expect this one to be exciting Nick, uh, I'm not sure I agree that every fight in the May card will be though what are your thoughts uh, on this bout, Nick?
1: Well, I agree with you that I think the odds are off. I think uh, Thiago Santos should be closer to a, a plus two seventy five, rather than a plus four fifty. And Jones um, minus six hundred just seems a little aggressive. I think you know something like a minus three fifty uh, sounds better. Um, I think that even though against Jan Blankovic, uh Thiago Santos showed more patience. Um, and very skilled striking. And I, I, John Jones just figures guys out. And I think he's playing chess while most are playing checkers. And he's even able to outmaneuver and outthink another chess player like, like Daniel Cormier, who's extremely crafty. And I disagree that uh, with you that other guys that Jones has fought don't have Santos' power. I think uh, Cormier's knocked out heavyweights. I think he's got lots of uh, thunder in his fists. I think. Uh, you know, Rashad Evans, o, uh, OSP. Those are, those are powerful guys who can catch you with a shot or an elbow, um, or a forearm. So I think that, or Anthony Smith, uh, is a guy, is a guy that, that hits really hard. Again, as good as Santos is, he doesn't, he's not, it's not like he's in Ghana. He doesn't have a lot of like walk away, uh, KOs. He has a lot of brawls. He has a lot of, uh, Smacking guys, um, like didn't he? He fought Eric Anders, didn't he, and smacked him around a bunch.
0: Yeah, it was back and forth. It was a war.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think that Jones is just craftier, and that he he's going to get an. What I predict is in the uh, probably the second or third round. Um, Jones gets some kind of uh, waist lock or body lock, ends up on top of Santos via trip. And uh, catches uh, a finishing choke in the in the subsequent grappling and sprawl exchanges. I'm sorry, in the subsequent scramble. Uh, that's I think that jo- I think that Jones is going to win this fight by submission in the second or third round. Um, I I think Santos has a, a, a striker's chance. I just don't I don't think he's the he's the craftiest or savviest guy uh, who's been in there. And unless Jones makes a A really catastrophic mistake i i think it's uh i think it's unlikely not impossible uh but unlikely
0: yeah Yeah. jones is a master at keeping guys at the end of his reach and i think he can do that with santos but i can certainly see if santos pulls the trigger and isn't awed by jones i can see santos exploding covering that distance and and getting him a few times again jones's chin is excellent we've seen it time and again i'm not saying tiago has a high chance but he's got a a higher chance, I think, than some of those other opponents, even that you mentioned. It's his level of explosiveness. It's the fact that it's not just his punches, his kicks, his spin kicks, his spin punches. Um, and he can do just some damage from up top, too. Not that he'll likely be able to against Jones,
1: to be fair. Just, just remember the ease with which Jones dealt with uh, Vitor on the vitamins. And I think, I think Vitor on the vitamins is a more, much more dangerous and talented fighter than Thiago Santos. I totally agree with you. That is the last guy that Jones fought that is about as dangerous.
0: But Vitor is uh, notably smaller. He's no Tiago Santos, even on steroids. Uh, Just overall size-wise, he might be explosive. And he did. Vitor came the closest ever to finishing Jones with that fully extended armbar. Uh, yes, until, until Vitor's lack of mental strength uh, essentially made him give up the damn thing. He was about to so win that fight.
1: You don't think that you don't think that Daniel Cormier, a guy who finished Rumble Johnson twice, is dangerous? <laughs> oh, he's 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 not dangerous against Jones, no sir. Uh, he
0: can he can hit Jones. He can explode in like Tiago Santos has the potential to if he comes in with the right game plan and with ATT behind him, he might. Uh, but no, no, I don't think Daniel Cormier is this dangerous. No, he he'll he'll submit Rumble Johnson who. I mean, you know, is himself a mental midget. He, uh, he was afraid of Cormier like everybody else was afraid of Rumble Johnson. I think he it- went in and clinched Cormier intentionally multiple times, allowing Cormier – like right after hurting Cormier, he clinched with him and given Cormier the opportunity to get a takedown. And the only way that we've seen Rumble Johnson lo- lose, really, I think the only way is by rear-naked choke. And that's exactly how uh, Cormier got him. It's impressive still. Don't get me wrong. But well, I would call him dangerous against uh, John Jones.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's also a guy that knocked out Steve Miocic, which –
0: Yes, that it, is very impressive. at heavyweight, uh, I think he could get that done weighing 260 pounds. Right, um, right. At 205, it, it wasn't the case. Okay. He didn't have that kind of power at that division. But uh, I, to, to your point, look, any way you put it, Jones' is league's above Santos. I do think that Santos is the best form of his career, uh, and I think he's at, he's at the only point in his career that he could ever have a chance against Jones' is right now. I think he's at his absolute best. Uh, this is killer to be killed for him, and quite frankly – Every one of his fights is kill or be killed, which is why this will
1: be exciting. So co-main event.
0: Yeah, we've got Amanda Nunes, the UFC 145-pound world champion. She is the UFC 135-pound world champion. She beat Chris Cyborg by first-round knockout, has a win, two wins over Valentina Shevchenko. She's got a first-round knockout win over Ronda Rousey. Misha Tate, she is in the best form of her career, hasn't lost a fight since 2014, Nick. That feels like forever ago. Uh, And she's going up against Holly Holm, who, let's face it, has had good and bad times in the UFC. In fact, if you look at her overall record, she is two and four in her last six UFC bouts. This is not title shot worthy per se, but really it's the only... When missing from, I think, Amanda Nunez's record, the only big name in women's MMA that's near her weight division, that's missing from Nunez's record on her way up to being considered, I think already she deserves it, quite frankly, the women's best pound for pound fighter. Amanda Nunez, um, going up here against Holly Holm, what are your thoughts? Where is this going?
1: Um, it's my opinion that right now Amanda Nunez is the best pound for pound fighter uh, on the planet. And that said, I'm picking against her. Wow, I think that Holly Holm is a is a very tough matchup for her. I think that Holm fights. She's a big she's a big stage fighter with a great chin, who I believe is more athletic. Who's got size? He's uh, got a terrific uh, a terrific jab, and I just I feel like she's going to be on. And that she's essentially a stronger version of Shevchenko in in a lot of ways when she's on. And I just have a feeling that Nunez, off the high of winning both uh, both belts, is not going to... Listen, Holly Holm doesn't brawl. Nunez isn't going to be able to coax her into a brawl like she was able to do with Cyborg. Um, I think that... That home may drop the first two rounds, but I see her winning three through five and taking a 48 47 decision and becoming a two time champion at 135.
0: Nikolai, you have stunned me. I did not expect you to pick the underdog in this one. I I can see ways for her to win a decision, don't get me wrong, Uh, especially with this style matchup, but I am very surprised that you're picking, that this is one of your underdog picks um i i can foresee a couple of the
1: others but this one i didn't see coming so I just got a i just got a feeling uh yeah had the same feeling before she fought rousey
0: really that's yeah th- th- that's pretty incredible i did have that feeling right as uh, right as they were walking into the arena because rousey looked incredibly emotional and holly holm looked determined as heck uh i did have a similar feeling but not like leading up to the fight at all it was just uh, literally in the day or two leading up to it because uh rousey looked like a mess um yeah, Nick, I didn't expect you to make that underdog pick, and I like it. I like some disparity. Uh, I like you being controversial. This is what the fuck I'm talking about. Now, I'm going to stick with Amanda Nunes. Um, I do disagree with you on more than just a pick of this, just a winner of this bout, Nick. I disagree with you about the fact that this bout's going to be exciting. I think there's a decent chance it's going to be very boring. Um, Amanda Nunes tends to fight opponents like Holly Holm. In a very trepid, a very careful way. Mena Nunez doesn't fight excellent counter-strikers by just waiting in. Although she, she kind of did with Cristiano Justino. Um, the way that she fought Valentina Shevchenko, this is like a very similar style matchup. Except Holly Holm is bigger and not quite as good of a fighter at this point in her career as Shevchenko. Um, so there's kind of that give and a take. Uh, she, she has, the, she has the, the, the potential reach advantage over Nunez. Uh, certainly about Nunez height or taller but she doesn't have, quite have the, the skill and speed of Valentina Shevchenko. Um, I think that it, it might just be a boring fight unless Nunes decides, you know what, I can just touch her a couple of times and it's over. Nunes can just press it in the first round. That's where Holly Holm was the most dangerous. That's where Holly Holm was able to land those clean left hands against uh, Cyborg when they fought. Um, that's when Holly Holm was able to land huge shots against Ronda Rousey when they fought. That's how Holly Holm has gotten most of her knockouts, is because her opponents were being aggressive toward her. I don't think Amanda Nunes is going to make that mistake. I think she's going to be careful. Uh, she might be able to afford it, if only for a few tries, right? She can certainly take a couple of home shots. And if the knockout doesn't come, she can then pace herself and win a decision. Um, and so, yeah, that's the reason I'm picking Nunez. Holly Holm is just going to keep throwing stuff from the outside and uh, not really trying to land, per se. And unless Amanda Nunez is waiting in there with huge shots, which – I think she might not be doing in this matchup. I think there's going to be a lot of leg kicks and jabs uh, for Nunez kind of staying out of range herself. Um, Yeah, I can see this one being pretty boring, but I'm going to take Nunez because when they each land, she's going to land the bigger shots. Again, if Nunez just pushes it in the first round, if she takes that risk, if she uh, fights differently than the way that she did against Shevchenko, she can get a knockout, man. Like, uh, home can be finished, especially at this age. And Nunez has insane, insane power. Um, so yeah, a little bit of disparity there, Nick, which is which is fun.
1: Yeah, I guess I I, I don't disagree with what you're saying about the way the fight may play out, but the narrative itself and the fact that I think it's going to be very, very close with Nunez's P for P title and one of her two straps on the line. Um, I think it's you know I'm, I think the narrative is just so intriguing that even if it's a um, kind of a cat and mouse game of a fight it'll still be interesting if, even if it's on a barn burner
0: yeah you know what this would be so huge if this happened nick and this would honestly make the event no matter how the fights before it go this would be a huge deal even if it was a somewhat boringish fight holly home get picking up a victory would be a big deal the thing is that if it's a boring fight Most people are going to not have a strong opinion about who wins either way. It's probably going to be competitive. Again, there's a chance that you're right. I think the odds are certainly wider apart than they should be considering that. But I do believe in Nunez. I do believe she's the best in the world. Uh, And it's funny. You're the guy that declared her the best pound-for-pound fighter on the planet. Do you expect Holly Holm, who's 4 in her last six to beat her?
1: I think that that she is. I just think that uh, styles make fights. And... Weird things happen and the margin, you know, the margin for error, having an off night at this level is uh, is not, you know, is what it is. And I just I, I've always been a Holly Holm fan, but I just I could see her. I might be completely wrong. I just have a feeling that the new that the best Nunez is not going to show up and the best Holly Holm is.
0: I, I like it. I, I like the disparity there, Nick.
1: Um, So next we've got Funky Ben Askren in his second bout since winning a very strange and controversial fight. UFC debut at 34, 35, 36 years old, whatever he is, against Robbie Lawler, um, is taking on game red Jorge Masvidal, who looked just uh, vicious in his fight against Darren Till. And has been uh, fighting with supreme skill and confidence. Really, has picked up the mantle and become, I think, in the eyes of the fans, an honorary Diaz brother. I feel like all the people who are Diaz brothers, fans who those guys, you know, Nick hasn't fought in like five years or something. Nate hasn't fought in uh, three, two or three. Um, that all the D- all the two hundred nine guys have become more him Asvidal fans and and rightfully so. A great fighter that uh, you know been around since the since the Strikeforce days when uh, he actually lost uh, lost about to Gilbert Melendez who was later on in this card but uh, very very interesting matchup uh, five times has Bennett is the favorite minus two twenty five and Masvidal is a plus one eighty five underdog what do you think Stan yeah
0: I've I've really struggled with this one in particular more I think than uh, more than most of the other bouts on the card. I can absolutely see pathways for both guys to win. A lot of it uh, actually might fall down to what the judges value more. Are they going to value George Moskal's damage that he's able to do from some range while Ben Askren just literally lumbers forward taking big shots as he literally reaches his hands out, grabs a hold of George Moskal's kind of uh, above-the-elbow tricep area and just literally pulls himself in to George and attempts to take his backer. Or, or, or tends to put, push him up against that cage to, to drag him down to the floor, tends to get that headlock position. He's He's got this extreme expertise in one category. The thing is that he's been fighting a bunch of guys that are just not on the same level up until he came to the UFC. Actually, back in Bellator, he fought some really high-level uh, guys that ended up being some pretty high-level fighters. But they weren't quite ready, I don't think, at the time. And since then, he's toiled in ONE FC where he's picked up victories over random European fighters and Shinya Aoki, uh, I think, a couple times. <sighs> Robbie Lawler isn't exactly at the upturn of his career. He's not at his best point, and he hurt Masvidal pretty bad. Uh, I'm sorry, he he hurt Aspirin pretty badly in the first round of their bout. Um, I still don't believe that Askren tr- truly won that bout. Uh, it was essentially waved off by the referee. And Robbie Lawler's not exactly at a good point in his career, and he almost murdered the man. Now, having said that, Ben Askren looked out of shape in that fight. And I mean, even for Ben Askren, he looked out of shape. He looked particularly pudgy, not just kind of a dad bod, but pudgy. He looked he looked like he'd been eating donuts that morning, and I heard that he had been. Um, he looks in shape this time. I saw the embedded episode one, I believe, uh, him arriving at the airport. He just looked more in shape, actually, about as in shape as I've seen Aspirin in a long time. Um, I do think George Masvidal has the skill to win this bout. I think he's got the knockout power to finish uh, Askren, who actually has an excellent, excellent chin. The man's incredibly durable. And it's really, like, if it's not for that knockout, which... Isn't likely because of that excellent chain of aspirins. It's going to come down to a decision, and it's all going to depend on whether the judges value aspirin uh, having some positions uh, holding on from up top, um, or if they're going to value George Mosvidal doing damage. I'm going to. This is literally a coin flip based on what who the judges are and what they're going to value that night, or what mood they're in. I'm going to. I'm going to side with Mosvidal um, just because I think he's going to do damage, and at least that's what I value more. But I wouldn't be terribly shocked if Askren, uh, you know, just kind of grinded and grinded his way to a slow-paced decision. Uh, I think skill-wise, George Masvidal is in a different league. And I know I said that before his last bout against Darren Till. Uh, I said that he was skill-wise quite a bit above him and that he can win the fight if he really tries to. I just feel like, I just feel like this matchup is risky given the, uh, given the judging. What do you think, Nick?
1: I have – I'm going to agree with you, and I think that Masvidal is going to win this bout, but I think he's going to knock him out. I hope you're right. I think Jorge – I think Jorge Masvidal is going to be able to avoid the takedowns. He did a really good job um, with Damian Maia's wrestling. I know Askren's on another level, but who does Jorge Masvidal train with down in Coconut Creek, Florida? Another Cuban gentleman by the name of Yoel Romero unfamiliar what's that I'm familiar. Oh, you're unfamiliar you're unfamiliar with them. you know who the wrestling coach is down there who's that king muhammad lol so masvidal had i mean he's he's down there with those guys ask at duke rufus grab assing around with cm punk <laughs> so i <laughs> i'm not um, of course i'm not there i don't know who you know i'm sure he trains with great guys I'm just saying that I think Masvidal is going to be ready for everything and that he's going to touch Askren a lot. And the accumulation of the violence that he's going to execute is going, um, I, he, may not knock, he may not knock Askren out, but he is going to um, assault him to the point where he is considered defenseless by the referee who steps in um, for Funky Ben's own protection.
0: As much as I enjoy the idea of Ben getting knocked out, I actually do kind of like the guy for his personality, just not for his oh, yeah, me too. So much, uh, but, uh, but I will oddly enough enjoy seeing him get knocked out, especially by George Mosley, who I think deserves the kind of notoriety that would come with this, you know, with a big victory like this on a big card like this in the third fight down okay. from a couple of title bouts. So yeah. Now, uh, ask, now, just answer uh, right. this for me. Askren and Woodley are close friends, though, right? Yes, they are, and, and again, we've seen that Woodley's not exactly. Uh, you know he, he's not exactly everything that he was advertised to be. He's just a a, a low output yeah. power puncher who,
1: but he's another at. He's an, I mean, obviously he got he got ATT, terribly yeah. out wrestled by Usman, but uh, he is another. You know, he's another guy down there training with Masvidal. So you've got Woodley, Yoel Romero, um, and King Mo in the gym.
0: Wait, 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 Woodley. Woodley is a Duke Rufus guy almost exclusively.
1: Oh, really? Then why it's. That's very strange. He shows up on the at uh, on the uh, ATT website, like fighters page.
0: Yeah, because because he you know he had trained with ATT up until that Robbie Lawler fight for the title. Oh, they
1: just that had point not, point they, point they haven't they, they just haven't updated their site in a while. Well,
0: yeah, I don't blame him because he's a former welterweight champion. I, I don't yeah, you no,
1: know, know. he's holding he's holding the strap on there. Sorry, I should I should have known that he was he was. I must have, I just forgot. No, no, uh,
0: no, no worries.
1: But it does give him possible
0: insight into Masvidal because I would be surprised if Woodley and Masvidal hadn't mixed it up.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, moving
0: on down the card. We have got Luke Rockhold going up against Jan Blackwick's, Uh A pretty interesting matchup with Luke Rockhold coming up from 185 pounds where he was once king uh, shortly after he was knocked out by Michael Bisping. Uh, since then, he is one and one with a win over Dave Branch after a couple of rough moments and a knockout loss to y'all Romero. Um, coming up to 205, and a lot of folks say that he's had a lot of trouble making that weight and that I wouldn't be surprised if his chin was affected by it. He's going up against Jan Blackowicz, who is uh, a gritty veteran who's actually really come into his own in the last couple of years. I think he took an unfortunate game plan against Thiago Santos. Uh, and it's not really maybe the game plan. Maybe more the fact that he just kind of exploded forward without the thought of defense and let Santos counter him in the third round after being fairly patient up until then. Um, and he's going up here against... Probably the biggest name of his career, uh, if you don't count Gustafson.
1: Maybe, what do you think of the matchup, Nick? It's a good fight. It's uh, really this all comes down to: is does is Rockhold Rockhold either needs to improve his technique and not keep his head so high in the air and start tucking his friggin' chin, or his chin gets better at two hundred five. Now I don't know. I can't think of a lot of guys who. Um, who were chinny and then moved up a weight class and were less chinny. I may be uh, forgetting someone. How about Thiago Santos? I don't know that I would. You thought he was – do you think he was – he was uh, He was chinny at middleweight? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say so. He was finished uh,
0: almost – I mean, Dave Branch punches round one. I think it was a jab. That's right. That's right. Um, he punches round 1 i think that was also a jab actually
1: yeah i just but he, those were things he was running into and he was fighting like a you know yeah. like a barbarian um it could it, it could be but uh you know bokwich has some uh he's got, got some pop he hurt Gustafsson, right he's uh he's put some guys down
0: yeah. i he's got good boxing excellent jab
1: i i think it's a really, really tough one to call. Um, but I th- I think I'm going to go with him to, uh, to catch Rockhold. And I think Rockhold uh, gets knocked out again.
0: Yeah, that would be a rough go for Rockhold. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens if he retires, Nick. That could be really rough. Um, I don't blame you for having a hard time with this one, actually. Initially, when uh, starting to prepare to, to do some research on this bout, my thought was that I was probably leaning Blackwicks. Uh, I expected his boxing to have the edge, uh, and his jab really is so damn solid. And I think Luke Rockhold, when it comes to his opponent's punches, makes a lot of mistakes. Luke Rockhold ends up putting himself up against that fence where a guy, that's where Yola Romero finished him. Uh, it, it was with that left hook that he was finished by Michael Bisping. It was with an overhand left that he was finished by Yola Romero. So clearly he has a bit of an issue in keeping that right hand low. Um, I don't necessarily know that Blackhawks' left hook has enough power to knock out a Luke Rockhold who may possibly benefit uh, from a slight chin uh, advantage or, or, or at least advantage over his former self. Um, it's been, it's been uh, well over a year, a year and a half since he left. Actually,
1: yeah, he's, rocked, yeah. he's rocked three fights in a row, either knocked out or rocked.
0: Yes, uh, but it's been a year and a half since he last fought. He took the proper time off in between, which I can appreciate as well. Um, for that reason, I'm gonna I'm gonna give Luke uh, enough of a chance to survive standing up at the very least because he is skilled offensively, right? But he does make mistakes. I agree with you. Here's where I think he's got the great kicks. Is. Great he kicks. Ab- he absolutely does. Here's where I think the clincher is, though. Luke Rockhold has the nastiest top game. He is so damn good from up top, you and really I'm do. hoping and crossing my fingers that maybe for the first or second time in his UFC career, he goes for a goddamn takedown, Nick. And if he goes for that takedown he should be able to do some damage at the very least from up there he really is nasty with his top game I think he's got one of the best top games in the sport one of the most dangerous certainly um, so I, yeah I'm, I'm gonna pick Lu- uh, loop because I think he has the edge there I do think uh, the chin edge might be in Blackhawks's corner but then again Blackhawks has been was knocked out just a little bit of a while ago um, here's the thing well Blackhawks fought Gustafson uh, Blackhawks stand-up actually looked really good and he was out striking Gustafson is the way that I remember that bout Gustafson had to go for takedowns in order to win the bout now granted that was a few years ago that was almost three years ago um and I I think the takedown defense of Blackwicks has come up quite a bit since then but I'm still giving Luke the edge here just because I think if at any point he's on top he can finish the bout having said that he could get knocked out
1: yeah I'm uh, very very interested so we've got two points of differentiation uh so far on the card
0: Right, and, and we actually both picked uh, both picked a couple of underdogs at this point.: I've picked three underdogs so far. Oh, yeah, you're right. You picked three. Is Luke yeah, Luke is a favorite. I'm actually shocked at how much of a favorite Luke is. Yeah, Blackhawks is going to be uh, one of my value bets later on in the betting portion of this podcast.
1: No spoilers, Stan. No, sir.
0: No, no right. sir. would never.:
1: Moving right along.: Oh, uh, yeah, we got Diego Sanchez, "The Dream, the Nightmare. The UFC ultimate fighter, season one veteran, a plus 280 underdog. He's looked terrific in his last couple bouts against, you know, not the best competition, but he certainly looks better than he has in, in recent years. Um, looks physically strong. And he's fighting uh, Michael Keza, a guy who um, has just moved up to welterweight after a pretty good run at lightweight with, some, with a couple of tough losses. He lost to Pettis, right? And then he lost, he lost to Kevin Lee. Um, so an interesting, you know, an interesting bout. Chiesa is a wild favorite at minus 340 here. What do you think?
0: This is also one that I had a hard time with. Uh, initially thinking about it, I figured Michael Kiesa. He's got a really good ground game. He takes the back really well. He should have the advantage here. The thing is that Diego Sanchez doesn't really lose on the ground against guys. Diego Sanchez gets knocked out. His chin is not what it used to be. He's not as durable as he once was. Michael KS is not really a knockout kind of guy. He's been improving his stand-up to some extent, but he's not comfortable going deep. He, doesn't have, he can't really set up uh, offense like a high-level striker uh, like Anthony Pettis, for instance, can. Um, and his ground game is good. However, in a, in a situation where you've got two ground fighters going up against each other and one of them is Diego Sanchez, I think I might give him the edge. I actually think the biggest thing here that makes me favor Diego is the intangibles, the fact that he's got this fire within him. If you're not going to knock him out, he's going to keep waiting forward and putting pressure on you, making you uncomfortable taking you down. And Michael Chiesa, sooner or later, he's going to start to falter. He's going to start to lose some gas. His durability He's going to start going uh, and I think Diego might be able to out-hustle him and look pretty good in the very last few moments of that third round. Um, having said that, Diego's chin isn't what it used to be, and Kiesa's stand-up is better. So Kiesa can very well land a, land a knockout. I don't think a submission for Kiesa is likely, even though that rear
1: naked is his absolute expertise. What do you think, Nick? What, so what was your pick then? Uh, my pick is Diego Sanchez by decision. Um, I actually agree with everything that you said. I'm, I also picked Diego um, by decision. Well, I, I think it's possible that he gets a finish if he gets top position and just goes insane with elbows or K- uh, Kiss has gotten. He cuts. I feel like that guy bleeds all the time. Um, so I could see this being stopped for a cut. Um, but I, something just tells me that um, Diego's been finding a way to win. And Kiss is one of those guys that always seems to be on the bad end of a bum circumstance. He kind of kind of like Kevin Lee a lot of the time. Um, just sort of finds a way to lose. I'm not saying he's not mentally tough. Uh, it's just he just has he has bad luck, and I feel like uh, luck is on Diego's side this weekend. I, I like it. We're actually we, four you, underdogs. I got four underdogs on the main card. I'm picking.
0: You are not messing around, Nick. If you are right in not even all of these, but the majority of these, not only will you win, but um, but you look like a badass because these are you, you're getting more underdog picks than me, and I didn't expect that to happen for this one, Nick. I really didn't. Uh, fascinating style. Uh, fascinating, so switch uh, up
1: the game plan after uh, losing my lead. I like it, Nick.
0: I like you taking some chances. Uh, we've got Gilbert Melendez going up against Arnold Allen next. Uh, I feel like it's a classic old guard versus new guard fight. Melendez has been on a bit of a rough hurdle for a little while now. Uh, he has lost, I believe, all four of his last bouts. Tough times for the I think he also had a steroid suspension at some point mixed
1: in there in the last few years. Yeah. He got a big contract though coming out, coming over from Strike Force. Um, so, you know, Gill got paid, but it's unfortunate that his prime years weren't in the UFC. Uh,
0: I agree, but also maybe you saw that had something to do with it. Again, this is a guy that did pop once he was it's under the stringent uh, or the more stringent policies of the UFC's anti doping. Uh, you saw the agency. Um, I also thought so, he,
1: beat yeah. ben, he, I thought he beat Ben Henderson. Also, I thought Gil in I, my eyes. Gilbert Melendez was the UFC lightweight champion.
0: You, you know what? Fair enough. I thought so too. I didn't disagree with you, but that was over six years ago, Nick. He's not the same guy. He beat Diego Sanchez since then. And then won on a four, four fight losing streak. It's been t- tough times for him. He hasn't fought in a couple of years now. Um, here's the thing though. He does have the stylistic advantage on paper over Arnold Allen. Um, Arnold Allen doesn't have the best takedown defense. And Gilbert Melendez happens to, at least when he was in his prime, he happened to have uh, c- kind of combined that really well into his game. Uh, flowed from the striking into the takedowns, into that pressure, just constant pressure whether they were standing or... or great, great scrambler. Great scrambler. Absolutely agreed. I don't think he has that anymore. I think the game has passed the man by. Um, and I think Arnold Allen is a, a really hot prospect to watch. He is coming up to coming into a point in his career where, you know, fighting fighting a former champion, if only if strike force is, it makes a lot of sense. This is the kind of victory that can put him over the hump, place him more squarely into that top ten. I think he's uh, something like number nineteen now. Um kid kid deserves a big fight. He's gonna get it here. Even though Melendez has poten- the potential to beat him by pursuing takedowns, I don't think he has it anymore, not like he used to. And I think Allen's uh Allen's fire, Alan's offense and Allen's uh, pressure is going to take over, especially given the blueprint that was left by Melendez's last two opponents uh, where his leg was basically kicked right off of him um, against Jeremy Stevens and then against Edson Barbosa. So, yeah, I expect Arnold Allen to do his thing here and win uh, a, a pretty one-sided decision, especially toward the end.
1: Uh, I agree with you completely. Tough one. Gil, um, I was an early Gil fanboy. Um, you know, when I lived in San Francisco, around the corner down the street from my office was Fair Tech, San Francisco, uh, where Jake Shields was a trainer and Gilbert Melendez, um, trained. It's where the, uh, the, what's his name? Uh, the Muay Thai coach of uh, wood, the wood, woodsman, woodman, I think his name is, um, was a trainer there who I took a couple of classes with, but I remember one time being in the gym and you know, everyone, uh, like all the like white collar guys training or whatever, it's normal stuff. And then just hearing in the ring, just the loudest thumps in the world. And I'm like, this guy who's ever in there sounds different from everybody else. Like when you hear a major league fastball hit a catcher's mitt, Um, you know, it just sounds different. And I looked up and there was Gil uh, throwing, uh, throwing kicks to the pads and just, you know, powerful kid with a broad back. And I'd see him there often, just training on his own, lifting weights. Uh, seemed like a seemed like a very nice guy always loved the way that he conducted himself in interviews Um and he does a nice job when he when he is doing commentary now uh, on the network just was a very easy guy to root for plus that uh, Trilogy of fights with Josh Thompson. Um, I was second. I was in the second row for uh, their second fight in um, That was down in San Jose
0: Great fight, man. Wow.
1: Yeah, it was it was a terrific fight. Actually, the, the Thompson won the third one, but that's another story. Gill definitely won the second. Uh, terrific, terrific bout uh, again with with great scrambles uh, from both guys. But he just you know he looked pretty good in the first round against Alvarez, and he busted Alvarez's eye up. But that's the last good round I remember him having.
0: I think you're right,
1: and uh, he just got pieced up by Jeremy Stevens. and you'd think that uh Gilbert as a style would you know would have uh been enough. Uh, knowing, you know, that Fra- that Frankie Edgar was able to implement a plan that basically, you know, with the exception of one kick that he caught, neutralized uh Stevens and uh, you know, Gil's Gil's a terrific wrestler, great kicker, great top game. Uh just really couldn't get anything going. just you don't you know you don't think of Jeremy Stevens as someone who like essentially finishes guys with light kicks. But he, he, that's exactly what he did to Gilbert Melendez. Um, so, yeah, so say, I've got the same pick there. So next you've got Claudia Gadea, who's, uh, you know, uh, seen better days against Ronda Marcos, who is coming off of a win against Angela Hill that I think a lot of people didn't expect her to get. Uh, who do you have here?
0: Yeah, I've, I've, I've got Gadea. I think both of these fighters have the same issue in that they can start off looking really good and then... Taper down as the fight goes. Gadelia even in that first round, should be the better fighter. She's not going to be dominated by Randa Marcos on the ground, which is where Randa is really best. I think uh, maybe Randa, if her conditioning is up to par, uh, has a shot at maybe winning a third round. But I feel like she's usually tired then, too. Um, I'm picking Claudia Gadelia who I believe is training with uh, – Mark Henry's crew in New Jersey for this one, which is a pretty legit team and they don't usually have cardio issues, so I expect that she should be in better shape than usual at the very least after a couple of, I think a year or so off. Uh, I favor Gedalia this one.
1: Um, Exactly the same uh, point of view as you've got. Um, In the next fight, we've got uh, Song Yedong is the favorite, coming off a couple of victories, against Alejandro Perez. Uh, Who do you have there? I actually
0: think both guys are really
1: fast. The difference is that Yadong Song is explosive.
0: Um, I think that he'll be able to handle Perez's pretty quick jab um, and counter with some big shots that'll get enough attention from the judges. Perez tends to win decisions that he doesn't even deserve a lot of the time, but he finds a way to win. So I can see a way for him to win a tight one here, but I expect that Yadong's bigger-looking, looping, explosive, super-fast shots will probably get the edge from the judges.
1: Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Perez here, just, uh, you know, he's a guy, he's got some, he just has bigger wins. Um, I agree. So,
0: Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I I agree on that he has better wins, but I think uh, Song is on his way up. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a decision here. Uh, We did, I think, actually skip over one fight, Nick, Uh,
1: Marlon Vera versus uh, Nolan Hernandez. Oh, I didn't realize that they had found a, a replacement opponent. Okay.
0: Yeah, he's he is a he is a recent replacement. Um, I,
1: I believe he's mostly a boxer Definitely. He got busted for drugs again.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it was this time. I don't know if we have details yet, but it, it is what it is. The, that guy is a drama show, if nothing else. Um, we do, however, have a fight here between Hernandez uh, and the always entertaining Marlon Vera. Vera's kind of hitting a stride in his career, where he's looked really good in his last three bouts, uh, finishing Frankie Science, Guido Ganacci and uh, Wei, uh, Wei Liji Burian. Uh, these are not the best in the world, but they're pretty good fighters, and he's putting them away in the first or second round. Um, going in here against a, a guy who really has way less experience but really, really good boxing. I think Hernandez actually has a shot here, but I think uh, Vera's varied uh, offense is going to win this one for him.
1: You- I completely agree. Absolutely on the same page there. Um-
0: Next up, we've got Jack Marshman going up against Edmund Shabazian. Jack Marshman is mainly a striker who's had a pretty mediocre record in the UFC. He's a big underdog to Edmund Shabazian, who is fighting under Ronda Rousey's somewhat semi-disgraced coach, uh, Edmund uh, Taverdian, I believe. Um, Shabazian, a big favorite here, Nick. Who do you favor?
1: Uh, I do favor Shabazian. I liked him a lot in his last bout. I did not enjoy Marshman very much in his last bout. Uh, which was a win over just split decision win over john phillips um he missed wade it was just an uh, it was just a, it did not seem like a professional fight um and despite his coaching, i like the way as has looked so yeah i'm going with him i mean minus minus five hundred might be a little um you know a little extreme based on marshman's propensity to to get gifted decisions or just have ugly weird fights um, he's even uh, he's minus seven hundred in, in some other uh Uh, you know, on on like bookmaker.com. But I think Shabazian's the the clear pick.
0: Yeah. uh, I I agree that he's a clear pick. Uh, I do see Marshman, like Shabazian was exhausted in the third round of his last bout against Darren Stewart. uh, Or I'm sorry, before his last bout. Uh, and he hasn't really been in the second or third round outside of that bout. So I could see Marshman possibly picking up a late TKO once Shabazzin's really tired in the third. But even when he was tired against Stewart, he still went for it and got some clean takedowns. Marshman's uh, takedown defense sucks, and I think that's probably how Edmund's going to win this bout, either by a TKO or a decision, decision, uh, by going for those double legs and, uh, and takedowns against the fence. Um, next up, Nick. We've got Ismail Nardiev going up against Chance Rencountry. Uh, uh looked really spectacular in his UFC debut. Um, I actually watched some tape on him, and I believe that he would make this a tough fight for Prezeras, but I didn't expect him to, to comfortably beat Brzezera. Really, really impressive UFC debut, about as impressive as it gets. And the kid's only 22 years old, Nick. Uh, he's such a young pup when it comes to the sport. so talented. Going up against here, the much slower, uh, maybe somewhat bigger Chance Rencountry. Who do you favor, Nick?
1: uh absolutely ismail nardiev who just looked fantastic i remember i think i was talking to you during his last fight because we were like who is this guy right uh, he looked he looked like a slick vet um i was just really really impressed with him um you know the odds might be a little w- out of whack uh minus you know close to minus 500 favorite but um i think he's gonna do his thing
0: i i think those odds are reasonable i i think he should be a big favorite here there's always a shot right but I'm a big believer in Ismail. Nairdia. Again, I was a believer in him. I thought that he would go on and have a really impressive UFC career after losing a uh, you know, a boring, maybe somewhat competitive decision in his UFC debut, but I didn't expect for him to look that good, man. Um, yeah, I actually remember you and I disagreeing on the podcast about the quality of, of, uh, of his victories, uh, and I was impressed by his tape, man, and he looked so much better than I expected. So, yeah, uh, excited to see him continue here. I hope he keeps fighting off, and I look forward to seeing him rise up the ranks.
1: And then we've got, um, in the opener, uh, we've got, um, I believe, a, a late replacement, a Penny uh, Kianzad from uh, Iran. Who is, is she making her, making, uh, she was in the Ultimate Fight, she was in Ultimate Fighter season uh, 28, where she lost to Macy Chazon, Is fighting uh, Julia Avila, Rage, uh, yeah, the Raging Panda Avila. Um, what do you think, Stan? Um, I, I'm going to
0: pick Julia Vila, not necessarily because she's slicker, because I think Penny Kanzad has some pretty, pretty serious skills. She can be slick at times, but it's the intangibles. When she's gotten pressure put on her, she doesn't look so good. And that is all that Julia Vila knows how to do. She puts pressure on you. She also has some serious power in her right hand. So I can absolutely see a situation in which she uh, whoops that ass, Uh, even though Penny is maybe a little bit more skilled. It's going to be that intensity and that pressure that's going to take her over and give Julia Avila. I think uh, I don't see why she shouldn't be able to finish this bout uh, sooner or later, especially given the short notice uh, that Penny had to prepare for the bout.
1: And I'm uh, 100% with you there. Yeah, same page on that I guess we're are we in, are we in agreement on all of the undercard? Is it really all of it? Uh, I think Perez and song we disagree
0: on. Oh, you picked. Uh... I picked song. You picked Perez. Yeah, Perez,
1: yeah. Okay.
0: And uh, and yeah, outside of that, I think the rest of the undercard bouts we agree on.
1: It's a bunch of those main tower bouts where we disagree because um, you we'll just... were well, not a bunch, just a couple. Uh, I you picked were home. Than I was. Um, I picked home. We both picked Masvidal. Um... We both picked Sanchez, I picked Blankovic, and you picked Rockhold, correct?
0: Uh, that sounds about right. Looking forward to seeing the results of this one, Nick. This will be exciting. It's like, like Not only is this a great card, but, but just the, 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 the points of differentiation between us is going to make it all the more exciting. The fact that oh, yeah, one the main card is going to be so much fun. I, I really look forward to it. Again, I, I don't expect the Nunes home fight to be fun, but if Nunes can get that first-round knockout, that's how... That's probably, uh, that's probably what makes make this exciting. We do have some betting to get to, Nick. We're going to run through that quickly after this break. And we are back here to talk about the betting guide for UFC 239 this weekend. Actually, Nick, we had a pretty damn good week last week. Some of my best suggestions worked out really quite well. I recommended a straight bet on Francis Ngannou because I believed he would have the power to knock out Dos Santos in the first round. He barely needed to do that, and uh, Dos Santos was finished, unfortunately. So we uh, bet 50 on that one and won $20. The odds were minus 250. I recommended a straight bet on Damian Maya. Bet 50 on that one at minus 185 and 127 in profit. On Betavidez, I recommended a straight bet at minus 170. $50 $50 on that one, and we won $29. Then we had Green, who I recommended a straight bet on. Bet $50 and won 43 bucks. The odds were minus 115 on Green, uh, who got a pretty impressive knockout. $119 profit for uh, for kind of the focus of my individual bets. Now, I always have this value bet kind of group of, of bets where uh, the underdogs are maybe a little bit too far under. Maybe the odds are a little bit too lopsided. Uh, this fight should be a pick em kind of value bet, where I might even disagree with the winner of the bout, but I will still invest some money into the underdog because I believe he has a good shot. I believe that Pachell had a good shot against Roosevelt Roberts, and that one worked out for me. Pachell at plus 210. I only bet $10 on him because I wasn't as big a believer in him, and I officially picked Roberts, but he had an impressive victory, and I put 10 bucks on him to win $21. I lost uh, $5 on the polar Reyes. Uh, uh, I lost $5 on Craig. I didn't expect neither of these guys to win, but I thought they were worth it given the odds. I, uh, I lost $5 on Newsom. At plus 265. He actually looked good, as I said he would. But he couldn't quite reach Ramos enough. And Ramos stayed just a little bit ahead. I expected Ramos to win. But again... I thought that Newsom was a value bet. I think his performance showed, especially given the short notice. That uh, he's a he's a pretty high level guy, even though he clearly lost that decision. In my opinion, in this case, we lost twenty dollars and one twenty-one, so we have a, a one dollar profit. My parlays actually, uh, I had two. One did really well, and one bailed on me. My two parlays were Nganu and Green. Bet actually won fifty bucks on that one, um, and. I, th- I believe I bet 50 bucks and 150 $50. It's pretty close to even odds. And then I bet $50 on Nganu and Whitmire in a parlay together. Whitmire uh, unfortunately blew that one for me, so I lost 50 on that one. Uh, it ended up being a $31 profit on that section, a total profit of $150 uh, for that night. And I actually uh, – I was evened out the week before. And the week prior to that, we were, I think, something like $300 up. So uh, doing pretty well in the last few weeks here, Nick. Looking forward to laying down some bets on uh, 2FC 239. Uh, And for this one, I recommend a straight bet on Jorge Masvidal, who at plus 185 I think is worth investing some money into, given the style matchup and given these odds. I I can see this fight going either way, especially given the judges and and how they're going to value each of the fighters' offense. But I I do think at plus 185 this is a damn good value, and Masvidal is worth putting 50 bucks on. Uh, Diego Sanchez at plus 290, Give me that all day against another grappler. Um, I do recommend a parlay on Cadelia and Avila, um, and I recommend a parlay on Song Yadong and Nunez. Now, Nick and I disagree on the Yadong and Nunez fight winners, uh, but I do recommend a parlay on those two. I think uh, uh, combined they should give you much better odds than that minus 300 uh, territory. I'm also recommending some value bets. These are kind of minute, small-dollar bets that I put down on some underdogs because – in every UFC event, a few underdogs come through, every single one. So we're going to put some five bucks on Santos because he's plus four seventy-five underdog and has a lot of power. Five bucks on Holly Holm at plus three hundred five because, as Nick said, she has a a shot at winning a decision. I think she has less of a shot, but again, it's a good value. I think uh, it's worth putting five bucks on her. Um, I recommend five dollars on Hernandez, who is going up against Vera. Hernandez is an excellent striker, and Vera doesn't really go for takedowns. So the question is. Well, Vera's boxing be enough? I don't think he has enough power, but he's worth putting five bucks on a plus three thirty. Those are my bet recommendations. Nick, you got anything for our listeners? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I think, I think a straight bet on Holly Holm, um, and I would, I would, I would put twenty or twenty-five dollars um, on her to win that. And as a big underdog parlay that would pay off in a big way, um, Sanchez, which you feel confident about, and I would match that with another underdog. Uh, Jan Blankovic uh, at plus 145. Um, do you have the calculator up, Stan? Can you do a little math on what a plus 280 and a plus 145 uh, would yield you on $50? And
0: I uh, have it. Give me those odds
1: again, Nick. Uh, plus 280
0: and plus, plus 145. Plus 145. For a $50 parlay. That is going to give you, uh, you will win. Four hundred and fifteen dollars if that Sanchez and Yan Blackwicks parlay works out, Nick. That could
1: be a real nice payday. I think those are two very close bouts. I, uh, I don't disagree I, with that. I could see them going both ways, and that's a lot. That's a big win against fifty bucks.
0: Yeah, that is that is a huge profit to make on that one. I, I don't disagree with you. Um, it's a nice opportunity um I, I like i like you taking advantage of that one i would actually invest a few bucks in that one but i'm not taking one of your bets nick um i do think uh, holly home is is also uh, again it's a it's a ballsy pick but it's it's one that'll make you a legend nick if it works out like you say it will
1: you mean when it works out
0: oh i like it Nikolai. i, I look forward to it it would make the bout uh even more exciting even if it's kind of a, a lower pace bout i think it would be exciting if Holly Holm could pull off this victory because it would just throw all the divisions, two or three divisions, into this weird influx that would be. I hope hope you're watching live because I'm going to be shit texting you all night long. I cannot possibly wait, Nick. I'm really I'm looking forward to. And you know what? I will swallow this one on air. I will declare you the master uh, if if (laughs) you predicted this fight not only correctly but the way that you laid it out. uh, I'll be very impressed. Um, It's certainly possible, but it'll be it's a ballsy pick, and I like it, Nick. If you can get the majority of these. Uh, underdogs going the majority of your underdog picks I'll be super impressed
1: oh fingers crossed all right uh, we will see you next week everybody looking forward to that Nicola have a great night bud bye.